All right, this evening, we've reached part 16 in our study of the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit for the Bible study exercise. That's about 15 hours plus of teaching on it. For those online or working on the topical method of Bible study, if you want to meet the deadline, that has to be done by the end of this week. If you can't get it done by then, that's okay, just whenever, because I know that's a big, 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 big study to try to do. Um, if for those who uh, are using the curriculum, the this week you'll be uh, working on Unit 1, Session 6, which is United Through the Spirit. And we've also added a new uh, curriculum, and that, that one will be entitled Session 7, and uh, they're both available on the curriculum site. And I've said this on a couple of podcasts, if you've signed up for the curriculum and you're not using it, Please let me know so that I can remove you because, see, how many people we currently have? I don't know. I'd have to count, but we're getting close uh, to where we would have to up this subscription so that we could pay for more spots, which is okay if we need to. But if you are not using it, then, well, that would be a waste of money. So um, if you're using it, great. If you're not, email me. Let me know so that I can remove you from the spot. All right. Now, with all that said, what we have been doing, we really, we kind of have two, really have two tracks going with our study. We have the one that we've been working on via the podcast, and we have really the one that we've been working on here, so that the two don't try to get too mingled, so that if you're not listening to the podcast, you, and you're here, you're, you're okay, and if you're listening to the podcast and to this, then you're all right. So I'm trying to keep them separate as much as possible so there's not too much overlap. So what we've been doing here is we've been using a book that I used in one of the seminaries, which is Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. We're looking at the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, where he breaks the uh, kind of the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit, the various ministries of the Holy Spirit, and he places them. And does anybody remember how many categories? 11, and we talked about them, the, uh, the ministry concerning the universe, concerning the scriptures, concerning the nation of Israel, concerning the devil, the savior, the sinner, the church, the day of Pentecost, the believer, spiritual gifts, and the fruit of Christ. And we were working through, I, I mean, in some ways I wanted to work through all of them. I knew we would run out of time. So I wanted to get to the one that I think is most practical and, and, and raises the most questions, and that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the Christian or the ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the believer, all right? And as I've said in all 15 other parts of this, in some ways this study took kind of a, an, an odd direction. I guess I kind of should have foreseen the direction it was going to go. It really was not my intention, but sadly, it's kind of what just has to happen because... There's so much, you, you become a Christian and you start hearing about the Holy Spirit and you hear the language that is taught to you about the Holy Spirit almost from the, the word go of becoming a Christian. And it always goes something like this. You see, here you were before you became a Christian and you were powerless. You, ha- you didn't have this ability or this ability, this ability. You became a Christian. You were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, boom, you have power. Boom, now God leads you. Boom, God opens your eyes. Boom, you can understand the scripture. And supposedly you have all of this like supernatural power and ability running through your body. 
And then you come to find out after years and years of being a Christian, that guess what? Do you magically have some understanding of Scripture? No. All the times you thought God was supposedly guiding you, come to find out, in most cases, probably your own thoughts, your own desires, your own will. And then clearly you find out that you don't have all this supposed supernatural power to help you overcome sin because you've been a Christian for 15 years. And what do you keep doing? You keep sinning. In fact, I think the, the longer you become a Christian and the more mature you become a, as a Christian, the more you realize how sinful you are. I think there's a time when you're young as a Christian, you can convince yourself that you're pretty godly and spiritual, but the more, the, the more mature you become, the more obvious it should be. So then you start raising lots of questions about, so what is the Holy Spirit doing? Now, the minute you start raising those questions, people start calling you a Bible denier and you're a heretic, but they can claim all day to have the power. And what do I always say? Don't argue with me. Just show me. Just stop sinning. You know, I'll give you a passage of scripture. Supposedly the Holy Spirit's leading you into all truth. Well, then just fix all the doctrinal disputes that's happened in 2,000 years of church history. You can't do any of the things you claim you can do. So at some point you think you would realize that claiming it makes you delusional. And so you think that that would change, but it never changes. So we started working on it. And what was the first ministry regarding the Christian that we talked about? All right, we talked about the Holy Spirit's work and regeneration, and we looked at Titus 3, 5, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23, and James chapter 1, verse 18 were some of the scriptures. And what was kind of our basic conclusion that we came to in regards to the Holy Spirit and regeneration? What did, how did we understand what regeneration actually does for us? It brings me to life so that I can believe, and then by believing, I obtain an imputed righteousness, right? And so we, we've tried to view regeneration more, because how does typically people uh, try to explain regeneration? Yes, it's from death to life, but they explain it, death to life, now I have an ability to do, like, now I can say no to sin, now I can overcome sin, now I can, and well, which, once again, if... They always say that to only do what about five minutes later? However, you can't do it perfectly. Well, if I can't do something perfectly, that means I still lack an ability. (laughs) So you can't say, it's just, I don't know how you can literally say those words and not understand you're contradicting yourself, right? So that's what we talked about. Now tonight, we're not going to be able to get very far, but we're going to look at this one. All right, everybody ready? The Holy Spirit baptizes the believing sinner. All right? This one is somewhat controversial. All right? Oh, boy. Um, I don't even know what we want to do with this one, but okay. Are you ready? We're just going to start looking at some uh, scriptures. Well, Well, let's do this. When we talk about The baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism by the Holy Spirit, baptism with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of dispute on which terminology should actually be used, right? If you you have a concordance this evening, look up. I'm going to kind of forgo. I'm going to just impromptu do this, right? Because there's so much discussion about baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's do this. Let's look up. The phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism by the Holy Spirit, baptism with the Holy Spirit, 
Let's see how many times we can find this phrase being used. All right? You can use the Blue Letter Bible app. Use whatever you need. Every concordance, you can Google it, whatever. How many times does this phrase show up? If you have a study Bible, they may outline all the different times. I don't have uh, the one tool that I would usually use at this moment in time in this discussion. But every occasion you see the phrase. Well, we'll try to get, we'll try to group them all together and put them in some kind of order. And then we'll try to look at all the entries. It's only, I think, six or seven times. I don't think it's more than that. Now, you have the word baptism a lot. You have the word Holy, the phrase Holy Spirit a lot. But at that, putting the concepts together, I think it's only six or seven times. We've done, we've done this study before. We've done this before. If, if you don't know where to look, grab a Bible dictionary and look up the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit and see if it's, uh, there's an entry for it. Okay? And it may give you all the references. Okay? Okay, let's, let's start with that. That's got to be the earliest, right? Would you agree? All right, it has to be the first one. Go to Matthew 3.11. Go to Matthew 3.11. This was not the original intent to do it this way, but that's okay. We'll change it, all right? Matthew 3.11, what does it say? Matthew 3.11. Okay, so who's speaking there? That's John the Baptist. Right? Matthew 3.11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is referring to whom? That's Christ. Uh, uh, cometh after me, and whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He, speaking of Christ, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, what, 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 what do we not understand from this verse? What does this verse not give us? It should be easy for you to tell me what it doesn't give me. Okay. How, how does he do it? When is it going to do it? What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it do? We don't, we don't have any of that, right? All we know is that it's going to happen. Yes? Okay, that's all we know. That's all we know. All right? Can everyone agree with that? All right. Now, what's the second one? Mark 1.8. How much you bet it's the same thing? Yep. So Matthew, uh, so Mark 1.8 is just a repeat of that. We'll still read it because I don't want anyone to email me telling me we didn't, we, we, you know, we were scared to read all of the verses. Mark 1.8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Again, what does this not tell us? What it is, how does it work, what does it look like, what does it do, what's the benefit of it? It doesn't give us any information. All right, third verse. Luke 3.16, what do you bet? What do you bet this is the same thing? John 3, or Luke 3.16. Um, it's weird saying Luke 3.16, okay, but Luke 3.16. John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I 
cometh uh, the latchet of whose shoe, uh, shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It throws in the fire part now, right? Okay. Okay. Okay, Matthew did too. Okay, all right. I must have just not read it. Okay, so but you get the idea. What what are we not? Or what are we not told again? We don't know anything, right? Now, let's always remember. This is very 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 important. When you start making a list of verses about this very important doctrinal concept that everyone seems to write books about, and we're how many verses in so far? Three verses. And what do we know now? That it was coming at that point, and we don't know anything else. Right? And Jesus is going to do it. All right, next. John 1.33. Do you think this is going to be similar? John 1.33. Is it John the Baptist speaking? And John bear record. And what does he say? All right, so this is once again John talking of Christ, and he says the one you see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit descending, uh, descending and remaining on, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. All right, that's once again just saying, what? Does it give us any clue? No, we have no idea. How many verses are we in? We're into four. Oh boy, we're, we're, we're running out of, we're running out of scripture. Okay, all right, how, what's the next one? Oh, Acts 1, 5. Do we, do we have any more in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John? Okay, I, I, I don't think there's any more, all right? If, you, if, if anyone can find it in a concordance, please let me know to correct us, okay? But if anyone online is fine, knows that there's another one, let, let us know, all right? But we're in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, and what does it say? Okay, now this is very important. Why is this super important? Why is this absolutely essential? Well, it tells us that when you get to Acts, it hasn't happened yet. Correct? Yes? All right. And I can guarantee you this, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you don't get any explanation of what it is, how it works, or anything else. So in Acts 1, 5, we are told, For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And who's the one speaking that? Christ. Who did John the Baptist say was going to do it? Okay. So are we on the right path? All right. But what, what's, but what's troubling about this path? We don't know anything. Right? We absolutely know nothing. And you know what Christ, Christian history demonstrates? When we don't know nothing, we make up the information. Okay? That's what we do in church history. Okay? All right. Right, but I'm saying up to this point, we don't know anything. And I'm saying is if you look at considering there are volumes of books written on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not, we don't have much. We have Acts 1.5, okay? When's the next time the phrase is used? Acts 11.16. All right, go to Acts 11.16. Okay, yes, we'll read. Acts 11.16. Huh. All right, uh, 
Okay, Peter is speaking, and he says, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now what is Peter referring to here? Yeah, well, I think he's referring to something that just happens right here, correct? Right? If we go back to Acts chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Uh-oh, that's controversial. Why is that controversial? Gentiles, right? Everybody understand that? When Peter was come to Jerusalem... They that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them? But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend, as if it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the, which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay, and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath in, at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon. Now, this is not so much about dietary laws. What is this about? About Gentiles, the, uh, the unclean thing are the Gentiles here, right? Okay, that's, that's the, the major point. I'm not seeing, I do believe it also it signifies the removal of the dietary laws, but its primary focus is on Gentiles, right? This was done how many times? Three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there I was, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, their six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in the house which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And what beginning is he referring to there? What happened in Acts chapter 1 and 2, or right in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, right? And it's manifest, and what's the proof at that time that the Holy Spirit had fallen on them? Spoke in other languages, okay, right? Okay, now some people want to believe that that's still the evidence, but if that was the evidence, then people would have the supernatural ability to speak in other languages, which people clearly don't. All they can do is mimic some kind of ecstatic, just, I don't know what, yeah, I'm trying to be nice, just, wor- not even words, sounds, and then try to claim that it's th- th- this very thing, all right? Then he remembered the words uh, that John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Do we get any real information about this? Of what it is yet? Well, the one thing we do know is that not only Jews received it, Gentiles received it. Yes? All right? That, that's, important. that's an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah? Okay. Do we get anything else? No. All right. So what, what do we have left? 
right? Do, do, do you have anything else, Sarah, and the dictionary? All right, that's what we were looking for, 1 Corinthians 12. All right. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll go to verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we have been all made to drink into one Spirit. That's all we have, right? Yes? Okay, so you've got the dictionary there, correct? What, do you have another verse? Oh, they're going to list a couple, I bet. I know which ones are probably going to list, but I don't think you're going to see those phrases. But you can tell me what they list, or you can, you can look at them really quick and tell us if they, we need to look at them. We're probably going to look at them anyway, but... If you do look at them, just, if they don't use the phrase, well, we'll ignore them right now. Yeah. I don't think, any, I don't think there's any others. Because that's, that's a total of how many? Okay, remember I said there was probably six or seven? All right. I think we've exhausted all the scriptures. Exactly. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So now, based off this, what do we know? I want you now. I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to write this down. And if I miss something, I want you to correct me. Okay. Are you ready? All right. Everybody ready? What do we know based off what we have seen? This is what we know. Everybody ready? Tell me if I miss something. John the Baptist foretold that Christ would baptize people with the Holy Ghost. Is that correct? Right? Christ told the people that they would be baptized by the Holy Ghost. Correct? That's Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Right? Okay. I'm sorry? And that it would be sin. Okay? Christ told people that they would be baptized by the Holy Ghost and it would be sin. Peter explained that Gentiles had, had been baptized by the Holy Ghost. Paul says the baptism of the Holy Ghost places Jew and Gentile in one body. Is that a fair a reading of 1 Corinthians 12? Does he not mention both Jew and Gentile? Does he not say they're both now one? Correct? All right. Do we have anything else? Did I miss anything? No. <laughs> we don't have anything else. Now, what's fascinating is that's what we have, and yet there are books and books and books and books and books and books and sermons and sermons and sermons preached on this. Well, and just there's entire 
theologies developed around it. That is frustrating. Now, I'm not saying there isn't more information in the Bible about it. I'm just saying if we just look for the phrase, that's all we've got. So, I want, uh, Sarah, you, which dictionary do you have back there? Ungers. Just briefly look at the first, like, sentence or two or three, maybe the first paragraph. Does it give any kind of a definitive, you can grab on to, here is the definition of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's momentous. All right, it's the basis for all of our positions and possessions in Christ. Now, please now, already this is going beyond what the scriptures we've already read seems to indicate, okay? Next. Okay, places us in Christ. Okay, so basically it has something to do with our possessions and positions and it places us in Christ. That's basically, I mean, like everything else is just going to be adding, but I mean, if you were going to summarize it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a momentous act or a momentous occasion that has everything to do with your position and possessions and you being in Christ. That's a basic way that they describe it or define it. Yeah, well, it's neglected and abused because there's so little information about it that you have to start adding words about to it, okay? So, that doesn't give us a lot, yes? All right, so, let's do, now we're going to step back and we're going to go to the book that I have in seminary and look what they start doing, and it's somewhat hilarious. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. <laughs> I got to laugh, all right, here we go. The Holy Spirit baptizes the believing sinner. Romans 6, 3 through 4. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> okay. This, this is where we have so, this is where biblical theology at times drives me to the point of wanting to go to the Eskimo hut. Okay. All right. Romans 6, 3 through 4. All right. I'm going to hang on. Let me grab my Bible. I'll just read this. All right. Here we go. Yeah, I know, this is a problem. Here we go, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. And and, let me read that again. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That is what they have right here. Now, what are some major problems with this? First of all, it doesn't say anything about baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, guess what? Do you think these verses, Romans 6, 3-4, has created any kind of massive problem in the history of Christianity? 
Well, the book doesn't offer any explanation. It, that book is the least of the problems of, the, of, these, of this verse. Can, does anybody care to think of all the problems that this verse has, has produced? Anybody? Come on, what's some of the problems this verse produces? What are the problems this verse creates? This verse is the basis of baptismal regeneration. Because it sees baptism as affecting something, correct? Well, it just starts with... uh, Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? This immediately seems to imply that when you're baptized, you are connected to Christ, meaning you are saved, you are regenerated, you're connected to Christ, right? Is that not what it literally says? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in death. That is like Christ, we are raised up from the dead. In other words, they're saying, what connects you to Christ? Baptism. So if you believe in baptismal regeneration, this is the verse to go to. How do I become connected to Christ? Answer? Baptism. All right? Now, we would immediately, no, 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 it doesn't mean that. So what is a possible way of getting around it? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. You just now insert that because now you've removed water baptism, yes? So no longer it's water baptism. So how am I united to Christ? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right? So now they would say there's not a drop of water. I think J. Vernon McGee used to say it the way. I can't remember who used to say it this way. There's not a drop of water in Romans chapter 6. It's like a West Texas desert. There's no water in Romans chapter 6. That's what, I can't remember who used to preach it that way. Okay, well, I I like that. If you don't believe in baptismal regeneration, that's great, right? There's no water. Okay, others were like, how can you say there's no water? It uses the word baptism. Right, but they would say, you look up every use of the word baptize and it's going to be associated with water, is what they would say. That would be the argument, okay? So, you can see, so some would say, no, this is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then what could someone argue? Does it say baptism of the Holy Spirit? No. So then what's another way of trying to get around it? What would be another way of getting, what would be another way of getting around it? We studied Romans 6. Everybody remember we spent like six months studying Romans 6? That the word baptize here doesn't have to have anything to do with spirit baptism. It doesn't really even have to do anything with water baptism. It just speaks of what? What do we sometimes say that baptism speaks of? 
Immersion into or unifying by. So this is just speaking of the fact that when I became a Christian, I have been united to Christ. Christ is in me. I am in Christ. Now, some will say, well, the Holy Spirit does that. I understand that. But I'm saying others will just say, no, this is just speaking of what happens in our salvation and what signifies or what symbolizes that event. Water baptism signifies or symbolizes it. It doesn't accomplish it, right? So what do we say when we baptize someone? I I baptize uh, you, my sister or my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried with him in the likeness of his rays to walk in. Do we believe that actually happens there? No, we believe it symbolizes. So some would say Romans 6 is just speaking of the spiritual reality that we're just united with Christ and baptism signifies it. But no matter which position you go with, you have serious problems, do you not? Go with the what? What's the problem with the baptismal regeneration view? What's the problem with that? Well, they would say faith is required. What's the problem with the baptismal regeneration view? Well, one could argue it's a work. Well, if you're going to be consistent, anyone who's not baptized goes to hell, no matter how much faith they have. You have to be consistent with that. Now, what they, they almost always do. Make some kind of exception. I mean, right? We, we all know this, right? They make exceptions, right? I mean, this, these doctrines have been around for 2,000 years of church history, right? They always make an exception, Well, thief on the cross doesn't count. He doesn't count. Okay, so then anyone who's like, who believes and dies without baptism is not saved. So that would be a problem. Number two, it would seem to indicate that anyone who is baptized is united with Christ. So what is typically, what almost always follows baptismal regeneration teaching? What almost always goes with it? You can lose your salvation because they know a lot of people who are baptized who say it didn't seem to do anything. So then they say you've lost your salvation. So now we know that's a problem, yes? Okay, that one is easier to prove is wrong than, than this. So the baptism or regeneration has problems. That this is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the problem with that view? It doesn't say it! And based off all the other verses that uses the phrase, can you draw a conclusion that that's what it's describing? The closest you have really is maybe 1 Corinthians, but you're doing, you're doing a stretching to try to connect the two, are you not? And the third view sounds good, that hey, this is just referring to my unity in Christ, but it's still using the word baptize. In other words, no matter what you do, there's problems here. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, we're, we're going to run out of time here. All right, we'll try to go to one more. All right? Um, go to Galatians Galatians 3.27. What do you find? All right, those who've been baptized into Christ 
has put on Christ. Now, okay? Now, keep, don't forget that phrase right there, okay? Now, once again, what are, the, what are going to be the problems with this verse? Same. So some would say, what, what produces this? Water baptism. All right? Okay? There's, there's the issue there, once again. Others would say, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, is there a possible way of making this one work with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Go back to the 1 Corinthians passage. Everybody remember where that one was at? 12.13. Everybody go to 1 Corinthians 12.13. All right. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is, what is mentioned in connection with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12.13? Jews and Gentiles. All right. Everybody see that? Go back to the Galatians passage. Immediately after that, if you are baptized, you've put on Christ, what immediately is mentioned afterwards? There's neither Jew nor Gentile. How, how is there neither Jew or Gentile? Because what's our identity? Christ. Well, how did we end up in Christ? Baptism of the Holy Spirit is what 1 Corinthians 12 says. 1 Corinthians 12 does not mention faith, does it? Okay, I'm not saying faith is not there, but I'm saying according to the, what we're following here. Right? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This could possibly be an argument that Galatians could refer to it because the very next verse describes, once again, neither Jew nor Gentile. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when, it, when we finally get any kind of explanation, is that somehow we're put into Christ, right? And now our identity is Christ. Our identity is not what? When we become Christians, what is, our, what, what is no longer are we identified by? Our race. We're no longer identified by what? Okay. Or gender. It's very true. We're not identified by gender in Christ, right? Neither male nor female, right? We're, our identity is not, oh, I'm a male. I'm a female. No, I'm, I'm a Jew. No, I'm, I'm white. I'm black. All of that is irrelevant. It's, gone, it's just, man, what are we? I am a Christian. I am in Christ. All right? Does that make sense? Yes? So that could be an argument that Galatians could be possibly... I wish Romans 6 had something like that, right? Because Romans 6 is problematic. And we're going to have to stop there. I want to go further, but we're going to have to stop there. All right? So, what do we have so far? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go through that list again of things we do have, clearly written down. John the Baptist foretold that Jesus would do so, right? He would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus said it would happen soon in Acts. Number three, Peter explained that the Gentiles had been baptized by the Spirit. Number four, and Paul describes the baptism of the Holy Spirit as uniting Jew and Gentile into one body. And that's the body of Christ. Agreed? All right. That's, that's the best we can have. Galatians, I think, kind of fits. I think Galatians kind of fits. I wish it used baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't you? I wish it used that. But it does have the Jew and Gentiles right after it. Romans 6 doesn't. Romans 6 is just a, I don't know. I mean, Romans 6 is a mess. I mean, it's just a mess. It really is. Okay? Because 
you, on one hand, you know it can't be water baptism. On the other hand, you want to say it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The only problem, it doesn't use the phrase. You're, you're left with a lot of options. Okay? But I just want you to see that all the talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and all the debate rages around, what, seven verses? And what, four of them are predictive of something that's going to happen in the future? Or five of them. I think five of them, right? And Acts 1, right? And then Peter just says it happened, doesn't explain it. And then the best you've got is 1 Corinthians, which really leaves you with more questions than it does answers. Well, if we can include Galatians, that is very helpful. So I, I, when Paul, when uh, Paul, Bobby is definitely not the Apostle Paul. When Bobby <laughs> quoted, okay, the next verse, I was like, okay, that's good because that, that connects it back to 1 Corinthians. All right, does that make sense? That's because now it's similar language. So we can at least make a textual argument for connecting them. And maybe if we can connect Galatians, maybe that would help us be able to back up and include Romans 6. Because now we are being able to use some similar concepts. I'm not saying it's perfect, but this way, no matter what you do, it's not perfect. But this is a, a serious thing of, of well, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. All right, we'll stop right there. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. It's sad that there's so much debate on this and so little actual understanding. Thank you for giving us the opportunity tonight to actually look at what the word actually says and that we can avoid saying things that it doesn't say. Forgive us for our mistakes on this in the past and help us continue to pursue truth so that we can be better in the future. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...